Yeah. Do you guys ever do that thing, like, when I was no. a kid? <laughs> you never. You I never that do thing that. Where you look <laughs> my, I never do that. My family used to make fun of me when I was a kid. And when I say I was a kid, I, I'm going to go ahead and say that if indoor dining was still a thing, I'm st- I would still be doing this. But you know when you go to restaurants and they've got, like, mirrors on the wall? Mm-hmm. I would... No matter what was happening, no matter who was talking to me, I was looking at my own reflection in that mirror the entire dinner. Paris Hilton says never walk by a mirror without checking it. So she would think you're valid, that's all. Okay. Anyway, I I was in love with my own reflection as a child, and it was like me... What did she tell you? Constantly to the mirror, shooting it like over the shoulder glances. Like the waitress comes by and is like, hey, how can I help you? I'm like, I want chicken nuggets, but like looking directly into my own eyes as I make ketchup into like lipstick for myself. Yes. Because Um, you're an icon. Right. Yes. And by the way, this was like, this was maybe February that I was doing this. Wait, did you hear her? I don't have a mirror in my room either because I don't want to know. Exactly. I feel like I'm going to get so distracted just like T-posing in my fucking, like clipping through the walls of my room and like T-posing in my underwear. Just like, what's wrong with me? (laughs) Yeah, I don't have a mirror. I used to have a mirror. I have a mirror in my room at my mom's house, but I usually cover it when I go back. Covering a mirror seems to be a big part. Yeah. Seems to be a big part and parcel. I just don't want to look at myself. But many people cover mirrors so that spirits cannot travel through them, especially when you're performing an exorcism. You want to make sure that all your mirrors are covered because if you exercise whatever demon and then he just goes straight into the mirror, then it's like, okay, you didn't really solve the problem. Right. Yeah, you only trap that demon in a mirror. That's not helpful. Yeah, and you can't just like take the mirror outside now. (laughs) (laughs) You can't, you can't smash it. No, you can't. You free the demon. You can sell it at a yard sale. Or worse. Yeah, that's true. You can ruin someone else's life. Can and should. Can and should. <laughs> Marked with the name of your high school enemy. Yeah. LOL. Yeah. I'm Augusta. I'm Eva. I'm I'm Ruby still. And this is the Phenomena Podcast. And this has been an extremely friendly, familial, and I would say collegial collegial collegiate i don't know what you're trying to say been a lovely way to start the morning oh i'm so glad and i'm sorry that i was late no my god i'm sorry i was early so this week we're discussing mirror ghosts yeah this week we're discussing sort of um the urban legends that center around mirrors and chanting and mirror rituals I really regret choosing a topic that I can barely pronounce. Mirror rituals. <laughs> I think Augusta is the only person in this chat who says mirror normal because you're mirror. not from the East Coast. <laughs> yeah. How do you say? Yeah, I think Ruby and I both say mirror. Mirror? Mirror. Mirror? Yeah, I, I, that's close. Mirror? No, the last one was... I, <laughs> <laughs> it's mirror with two mirror? syllables. But mirror? mirror? Mirror. Yeah, that's... <laughs> It's mirror from the Latin mirar to look. I don't know. To I, just look. Made that up. I just made that up. I mean, that's from the, the Spanish. Yes, Spanish mirar to look. I did learn, however, on the Wikipedia page for mirror this morning. You went on the Wikipedia it. page for mirrors. I sent you a screenshot of it this morning. I didn't um, realize because- that was what that was because I'm dumb. 
because I love uh, Wikipedia. I love Wikipedia so much. This is a plug, not spawn. Get the Wikipedia app. It is so good. Oh my God. I wish um, they sponsored our show. I love the Wikipedia app. If they sponsored our show, no one would need to listen to our show because you could just go on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, donate to Wikipedia. Um, that's my plug. I've never done it, but you should. No, um, someone should. Someone should. Someone that's not me. Uh, but uh, I did learn today on the Wikipedia page that the earliest archaeological records of mirrors are from ancient Armenia, 6,000 yeah. BC. Good for you. That's wild. That's way earlier than I thought. They were getting their ancient ass shots. <laughs> <laughs> You know they were. You know they were. Exactly. They were doing yeah. they were doing horsehair extensions. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. So that I thought that was interesting. That's really That's interesting. So funny. What was it made of at that point in time? Obsidian. Wow, like just really Armenia polished. Is full of obsidian, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Really thin, polished obsidian. Beautiful. Um, yeah, the first glass mirror. There's like written records of a glass of glass. The so the mirror we have now, base or close to the mirror we have now. Um, there's like written records of it in the first century, but there's no archaeological evidence of it until about the third century AD. Right. So, um, yeah, and the one that is most similar to what we use now, which is the glass with, with metal that's been... Yeah, with the tain in the back. Is that what it's called, a tain? Yeah, the back of a mirror. The silver, it's a tain, it's called a tain. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, the, they do it now with like an electrolysis process and that didn't come out until like the 1700s. And that's right, when, right after they started mass manufacturing glass. The I, would also, I would also like to point out, and I know that Augusta will appreciate this, um, add Tane to list of words I learned from listening to the Decemberists. Oh my god, so did I. The Tane. Yeah, yeah exactly. And Mirror oh Salt Silver Tane. Yeah. Exactly. So. Sleepover Ruby. Are we supposed Ruby? to be talking about Mirror? Yeah. For the listeners at home, I'm currently on my stomach. I am resting my head on my arms and I'm kicking my feet up. As if I'm reading a magazine and gossiping about boys. Um, that's she looks the like visual. she's using a landline telephone. Also, I have pigtails today. I think that's appropriate because one of the major mirror ghosts we're talking about is associated with adolescent sleepovers. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Juice. And my mom did just pop in here to offer me snacks. So we're vibing. <laughs> this is the best I mean, slumber that- party ever. This is the best lover party ever. Did you guys ever do Bloody Mary at a sleepover? Yep. No. You did, yeah. Ruby. Oh, yeah. I did Tell Bloody us Mary. about it. Bloody Mary was like a big thing in my town. I don't know. We just like we did it in our school um, bathroom. But yeah, so I remember going to slumber parties and we'd lock someone in a bathroom consensually. They would agree to it. Um. And yeah, you lock them in, you turn the lights off, you say Bloody Mary in front of a mirror three times, and then lights go on and you scream. Never saw anything. I can say confidently I never saw anything. And I think the bathroom, like, to me, the scariest part was always doing it. Like, slumber parties were never as scary as actually doing it in, like, the basement bathroom of my elementary school with no light Mm. that no one ever used. Like, that was the scary stuff to me. 
That was the nightmare Bloody Mary bathroom. Bro, why did you do it there? That sounds so genuinely scary. Um, I live for the thrills. I live for the drama. Um, thrills and chills. Yeah. No, because- And I, oil spills. Because it was, you know, when someone tells you, oh, if you do this in the basement of the school, you will see a demon. And you're about, you know, 10, 11 years old. You're going to go to that basement. You're going to try and see a demon. Because even if you don't see it, you get the cloud of being like, oh, yeah, I went in there and I did that. And, like, people were outside waiting for you to do it. You know? Oh, like seven minutes of heaven for virgins. I think it was, like, seven minutes in heaven for, like, spooky children who who wanted to see ghosts and demons but never got to at the right time. Love that. But you never did. You never saw her. I can say I never saw her. I just had the thrill of trying. And the thing is, there is a point when you do it that you kind of like, you say it the first two times. And as soon as you're about to get to the third, you're like, no, no, I can't. I can't say it. I, I can't like do it. That's what I'm familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I did it. It's just people never doing it, which kind of preserves the legend that it would happen. Because it's like, yeah. well, people can't even emotionally bring themselves to do it because the forces are too dark we should we should uh intro what the legend is so the legend of bloody mary is that if you look in a mirror and depending on where you go there's going to be different versions of this legend and like some people say it has to be a midnight some people say you say it 13 times but basically the essential structure is you look in a mirror and you say bloody mary a certain number of times and then behind you the ghost of Bloody Mary appears. What happens mm-hmm. next definitely varies place to place and legend to legend. So in some legends, like she strangles you In some legends, she cuts your throat In some legends. She's just there haunting you. In some legends you've like, you turn into her. Some it's three, some it's 13, some it's midnight. Some it's like when the dark, when the room first becomes dark, there's all these different legends about it. But the essential character is mirror Bloody Mary saying it. She appears. What happens next will shock you. Literally. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, did you guys not do that when you were kids? Did you guys ever do Bloody Mary? No. I didn't. Really? No, so we it's never just me. I mean, I guess it yeah. is good that you guys That's have why you're me on here as some, like, yeah. But you didn't even know. You didn't yeah, even know that I was that. <laughs> Did you know of other kids doing it? Were they doing that, like, at your school and you were just too afraid to? Or it was just, like, not a thing? No. I knew about it. I knew that it existed. But I didn't... Yeah, I didn't know anybody who was doing it. Not that I knew of. I mean, we were always trying to summon demons at slumber parties. Like, I don't... Did you guys fuck around with Ouija boards whether it was Bloody Mary or Ouija boards that was a big part of it like yes you talk about crushes yes you would watch a movie yes you do this and that but also like at least two or three hours of the night we are trying to contact the dead in some way shape Mm. or form I think when I was a kid first of all my friend group was much more heavily into fairies than ghosts or demons (laughs) but I also feel like there's a well yeah I also feel like there's just a feeling and, like, I wrote about this in my thesis, for those who please never read it. Um, <laughs> there's, like, a feeling in Western Mass that, like, 
there's no need to like summon or contact ghosts. Like they're they're there. There's no they're need. already there. Like they're inside your house. They're outside your house. They're in your backyard. They're buried under your house. They're buried under your backyard. They're at the bus stop. They're at your school. Like I don't know. I think there was like a very different flavor to like ghost contact Absolutely. than than what I see in movies of people being like, oh my god, wouldn't it be funny? Like, that would not be funny. And what are that? They'd be like, go outside. Paul Revere's ghost is like, he's like, two if by see. Two two Paul Revere. Yeah, literally. It's like, beep, beep, two, two. Ben Franklin's out there with his fucking weave falling off. Like, I don't know. Um, Seattle's very cult of science. Like, the part of Seattle that I was raised in. It's very, 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 like... A lot of like Richard Dorkin atheist dork types. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I feel like when I moved there, it was a lot of people being like, ghosts aren't real. That's what my dad said. Science says <gasps> that they're not real. You'd be like, okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> like, your dad is fucking boring. My yeah. guy. Have, your dad your, sucks. Hope your dad has fun biking from Seattle to Portland. Like, whatever. See, I think that's a really serious that. drag if you know Seattle kids. <laughs> Um, I don't, only you. Um, I feel like at least where I grew up, it was there was this false sense of like it being like ahistorical, you know? So like mm. any chance you could get to get something spooky or interesting going on um, at the time, we would take it. Because yeah, like even mm-hmm. we again, all this stuff, Ouija board, Bloody Mary, that was such a big part of... I don't like it almost shocks me to hear that neither of you guys like were doing those because it just I just felt like it was something did did I do something like now I'm also like is that abnormal is that why I am the way that I am because I always thought that that was normal in other places or like that other people would do that to me it always seemed like a suburb thing like yeah of course if you don't live literally on top of the historic grave of fucking John Edwards you would be doing that no cuz we did that we did that when i lived in like more when i lived in more urban parts um which is to say yeah, when i lived i know in, i wasn't right uh, i'm just saying that was the impression as yeah. a kid it's like so when did you guys like come to know about bloody mary or at least like what was your familiarity with that legend from like tv pretty much from like mm-hmm. the episode of supernatural about it like i knew people who were doing it i knew a girl who was like we did bloody mary at a sleepover um mm-hmm. but i think i was genuinely as a child i felt it this is just personal psychology a very a significant sense of responsibility and also i believed in ghosts mm-hmm. so if i had summoned bloody mary i would have felt like okay what next like i don't oops like i felt like that would have been a mistake because i would have summoned her (laughs) yeah Yeah. not that i really had that power yeah so the other one is um the candy man is the other one that you say in the mirror Mm -hmm. and then there's another one that's like a butcher i haven't seen it why didn't i look this up okay hold on while i look that up someone else explain the candy man so the candy man was actually originally a character in the books of blood by clive barker This is the description of his appearance from those books. He was bright to the point of gaudiness. His flesh was a waxy yellow. His thin lips are pale blue. His wild eyes are glittering as if their irises are set with rubies. 
His jacket was a patchwork and his trousers are the same. He looked, Helen thought, almost ridiculous, with his blood-stained motley and the hint of rouge on his jaundiced cheeks. And he's supposed to smell like candy floss. Um, I don't like that. I don't like that. And that's just the no, hot take that immediately to. comes to mind. He also I has a hook. I appreciate that. Well, so the thing about Candyman is if it's based on a, on a book that it in and of itself is based off an urban legend, does it count? as something if it's if it's like a product of if it, it's something that's like single source origin which is a specific arthur i mean excuse me a specific arthur a specific author um does it fit within this framework because there's already someone else's counts. intentionality of like this is how i want to construct and construe the story it's i don't know if it's necessarily something that kids are doing um it it is it's Candy. something that people are scared of and things that people do uh, and things that kids do. Well, I am on the based off scene. of it. <laughs> okay, okay. So the Candyman well, himself is in, uh, he was a slave and he was a painter or a freed slave and he was a painter and he was hired to paint a portrait of a woman and he fell in love with her and she got pregnant and then the town lynched him. And now he comes back to remind you not to forget him. Right. Like the memory of him, him. the memory of him is an extremely important part of it. Right. Like Mm -hmm. even in the original short story, there was no mirror mention in the original. It was Mm -hmm. actually just that doubting his existence was enough to summon him. Right. Yes. As to the question of whether or not it fits within the context of an urban legend, I think that Mm -hmm. an interesting difference between these two things, between Bloody Mary and Candyman, is that while Bloody Mary, it's really hard to trace the origins of it, and it's a very organic urban legend in that way, Candyman, Mm -hmm. it does very specifically come from one source, like it does come from this movie, Mm -hmm. which comes from the book, but even the version that we see like in the YouTube haunting community... Those yeah. are all based on the film the because movie. the book doesn't yeah. even have the mirror yeah, aspect. The mm-hmm. But it actually, because of the nature of modern media, has disseminated again enough to become an urban legend mm-hmm. where right. enough people have reproduced it in their own experience through videos and hauntings and trying to summon him that it takes on an additional life of its own, even though it's possible to trace the source to fiction. Yeah, it's weird because I think I can connect it in my head or conceptualize it when when you read about um did i talk about this last time or a different time or just in general in my life have i just been talking about slender man a lot but when you look at like the example oh of how i love slender man slender, love man, slender man disseminated big slender man fans in the chat also from a single story yeah. or um origin the creepypasta but you know yeah. again you see all these videos online of like children quote-unquote summoning him and there's this game that i think children children these kids are probably like five years younger than me at this point it's been around for so long but that they that they would play like an an online game that supposedly summoned him to the real world at different points Mm -hmm. um -hmm. which i only bring up to say that yeah i suppose in my head when i think i see this kind of clear distinction in my head between something like the original bloody mary and then candy man and then even slender man but i'm wondering now if perhaps if perhaps that that hierarchy and that separation between those those types of um, cultural artifacts, maybe that's wrong of me. Maybe that's mm. fucked up that I do that. 
I don't think it's fucked up. I mean, I think it's definitely possible to separate them categorically. Like it's Mm -hmm. it's possible to think of them as categorically different. And I think that you're right in drawing that distinction. But I think that the the thing that groups them together unifies them separately from other similar stories. Like the existence of a mirror, the question of doubt and the repetition of the name, which I think are central to all of these, Mm -hmm. um, I think unifies them categorically against for example, Ouija board, where you are trying to directly make contact with something and there's the possibility of it imparting knowledge on you, right? Like, right, yeah. That's such a different kind of story. Um, or like, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll get to this, but there's such specifically such an adolescent yes. quality to these. The ad- it's practiced by adolescents so specifically right. in such a social context. Like that is so different. Even then teenagers going and like taking photos on graves or whatever and mm-hmm. like, yeah like you know teenagers like making out in cemeteries like yeah but which I isn't an urban yeah. legend but is like it's like a teen thing is a morbid teen thing but i would say even like i feel like most of this stuff it's teen but it's the early side of teen you know like i feel like once you get to 16 so to speak with all these things even talking about adolescent i do think it's it's all of these things kind of air on the earlier side of adolescence because you know there's a there really is a difference mm-hmm. between what it means to be 13 versus 16 mm-hmm. and just mentioning like teenagers making out in cemeteries i do think that's a very different thing than like the type of the age and the maturity level of like the kids who are getting really invested on the in these urban legends at that point in their development do you know what i mean Totally. Yeah. 100%. And it's it is interesting because I think Bloody Mary, which I know more about, but additional, I mean, Eva, you'll have to fill us in about what the teens are doing on YouTube with the Candyman since that's sort of your area of this, uh, your area of expertise. Teen beat. But yeah, you're on the TV. Yeah. (laughs) You're in the the YouTube hole. Yeah. Um, I mean, Bloody Mary is so specifically social it's like so specific to that age group where you're at Mm -hmm. the very you're at the very end of sleepovers in which play is like a critical component of them right Mm -hmm. you're like graduating from the very end of like like eva mentioned her friends being more into fairies yeah Mm -hmm. you're the you're probably if you're doing bloody mary and this is completely anecdotal but i think i'm right uh, if you're doing Bloody Mary, like a lot of the time, that is the very tail end of of you know structured toy yeah. play. Like you're not doing dolls right. anymore. Yeah. American Girl is boring. Yeah. yeah, and you're trying to enter into this adolescent world of like forbidden things. You know, t- mm-hmm. boys and drugs and drinking and you know curfew and all that. Demons. I mean, it's different for everyone. But demons, yeah, essentially. Like, it's now you're at the far edge of forbidden play before you Mm -hmm. leave it behind entirely. Well, I mean, Gus, that kind of connects to something that when I was when I was researching, but something that came up in one of the things I was reading about Bloody Mary, and I don't fully know how much I subscribe to this um to this interpretation. But, you know, there was um a folklorist who posited that you know okay so you have this this urban legend this kind of ritualistic practice that's done by young girls between the ages of like eight to twelve um Mm -hmm. that centers around the sudden appearance of blood or a bloody figure Mm -hmm. what does that sound like 
Mm-hmm. Your, mm-hmm, it sounds like your first period. Um, right. And, so, and this show has been demonetized. <laughs> hey, they Can't. take the money away. Right. And it's something that, again, like primarily this is a ritual that's done in a bathroom. So, yeah, you know. Um, well, now doing it in the bathroom is an interesting thing because I was reading about why it's in the bathroom and everybody's like, oh, because the bathroom is the easiest to make completely dark and have a mirror in it. And it was like, yeah, but it also seems like the bathroom is a place where you can imagine a very bloody thing happening. Yes. And then like something about a bathtub full of blood is like very vivid. Well, well it's a space well of intense as, intimacy. It is. Yes. And I think also as well as like, you know, there's the difference between when we talk about bathrooms as well, like we're talking about bathrooms mm-hmm. at someone's home in a slumber party. Right. But we're also talking about like, which is such a big part of the legend as well. Like girls doing it in their school bathroom. Right. Mm-hmm. Also, I think right. probably everyone has weird evocative images of their, of their school, school toilets. Yeah. Um, yeah. And horror stories that happen in there. It's kind of the only medical place in the home. Like, if you're talking about blood, you know what I mean? I'm also thinking about, like, in schools as well or in public restrooms, the presence of drainage in the floor. Yep. And yep. so there's this well, weird that's what, concept yeah, the, of seepage yeah. and seepage in, yep. seepage out. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, absolutely. I do think that, you know, there is – I do give some credence, actually a lot of credence, to the idea that this is a menstruation anxiety thing. Mm-hmm. But I did want to point out I did one – my one thing of counter research was that I asked one man, "Hey, do you know what Bloody Mary is? Did you do it as a kid?" And he said yes. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess that maybe it's all false. Well, I, I think did girls... one counter narrative. My impression of it is that mostly it is girls, I think and that there are some boys who do it. Um, and it, there's also an old, an old ritual that involves a like a young woman who's around that same age of like 12 um, using like a candle and you walk backwards up the stairs. And then at the top of the stairs, you turn and look in the mirror and you see mm-hmm. the face of your future husband. Oh, I hate that. I think that's maybe one origin because it's funny. I've heard mm-hmm. so many different versions of the origin. Um, mm-hmm. Well, part of what's interesting about that, I think part of what's interesting about, I mean, Okay, so we have the we have the bathroom as a space that's kind of medical. It's kind of a space. It's extremely personal space. Mm-hmm. It's a space that is made social by bringing other people in there. It's a space that, as Ruby mentioned, can be kept watch on because it's enclosed. There's only ever mm-hmm. one door to a bathroom unless you live like somewhere pretty weird. Mm-hmm. Unless it's like an ensuite with like a complicated, <laughs> you know. Traditionally, there's a one there's one door to a bathroom, yes. and that door is you know, that door is watched. So like, it can be a, a space of individual slash group dynamics that can be really Mm -hmm. complicated at that age it's also interesting to think about what a mirror represents at that age i mean like what is the mirror in that age like what does the mirror represent right so if we're talking about you know 8 to 13 i mean obviously you can do it at any age but i think if we're talking about this as a specifically adolescent ritual what does it mean to really look in the mirror and look in your own eyes and sort of hypnotize yourself like that ritual Mm -hmm. happens at that age regardless of whether you say bloody mary or not like Mm -hmm. as ruby said up top yeah so here was something interesting again that i that came up in one of the things i was reading which is the idea that you know at that age and obviously at any point in your age 
um, when you look at a mirror, you expect to see yourself, you know, you know that I'm looking in this mirror, I'm mm-hmm. cognizant enough, I'm a sentient being, mm-hmm. I can recognize myself. So what the Bloody Mary ritual does is by placing the revenant and the ghost in the mirror, it forces mm-hmm. this identification between the person who is uh, going through the ritual and the revenant within the mirror. So an identification mm-hmm. between the child saying Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, and whatever subsequently appears, which is mm-hmm. not typical for any kind Mm -hmm. of conjuring thing that directly creates that kind of forced identification that a mirror uh, wills. I actually, I want to say that actually a lot of anoptromancy has to do with that because it's based in sort of the reflection in like the crystal ball or the mirror. True. But I think there's a difference between specifically similar to what we were just talking about a second ago with you know, there's one relationship between someone and say a crystal ball and then a very different relationship between someone and a mirror because a crystal ball already has that expectation of something will exist in there. Whereas a mirror is something that we all have personal okay. non-supernatural I see. associations mm-hmm. with. And if we want, I mean, if we want, you don't want to, but um, I could, I could always go into the Lacan Um, connotations of mirror imagery and Mm -hmm. identification well i want to bring up the venus effect um Mm -hmm. are we aware of the venus effect as a group chat or should i explain it you should explain explain it because the listeners are here too yeah i also want to explain i also want to explain captromancy and anoptromancy because they're two of my favorite words and they both mean the crystal or mirror gazing Mm -hmm. so just you know not like just to look at yourself but like the spiritual uh magical practice of crystal gazing um but anoptromancy is deeply tied to something called the venus effect which is named after portraits of venus in which she is looking in a mirror and she sees her own reflection however if you know anything about having ever looked in a mirror you know that if you are seeing the person's reflection in the mirror then they're not seeing their reflection they're seeing you however when we view paintings we have this like brain there's like this trickery that goes on in our own brain because we recognize the feeling of looking at ourselves in the mirror that we see someone looking in a mirror and seeing their own reflection even though really they would be seeing the painter right so that's the venus effect Mm -hmm. um and i think that that has to be related i mean the idea that you are seeing someone else in the mirror and there's a group around you who are seeing you see someone else in the mirror Mm-hmm. Well, it relates to sort of the adult, like this is the, psych- the psychological parallel I was trying to draw earlier. And I think that exactly mm-hmm. feeds into it is that you are approaching an age in which your own self-perception is colored by social perception of you, right? Like the social mm-hmm. setting of a sleepover, the complicated hierarchies of that, the social play of doing something dangerous, but uh-huh. not knowing who's actually going to do it. Are you willing to risk mm-hmm. your life for a group, you know, identification, are you willing to conjure this, you know, potentially like menstrual image or like mm-hmm. this violent image, the possibility of like death, the possibility of, you know, of aging, of like mortality, like all these things are coming up mm-hmm. now in a social way at this age and looking in the mirror and seeing someone else in the mirror or looking in the mirror and seeing yourself is mm-hmm. in some ways very um, <laughs> reflective. thank you so much yes Uh, very reflective of those dynamics 
with Bloody Mary as well, you're specifically summoning another woman. And I know that gets complicated right. when we talk about Candyman or the other ones, but um, mm-hmm. I think yeah. in most Bloody Mary legends, versions of it, like I've heard some where she's like a girl, but I think in mm-hmm. general she's she's a woman. And so there's right. something, there's something I guess as as well evocative about the idea of it's this weird mm-hmm. like grotesque version of womanhood that you are entering into if you mm-hmm. want to continue along the lines of like what does it mean to experience your first period what does it mean mm-hmm. um developmentally well, and that that if you summon womanhood you may die of it yes like, there's an intense anxiety Facts. to that a very bloody death yeah or you may become monstrous. giving birth <laughs> yeah right yes yeah you may become monstrous in your own right because mm-hmm. weirdly for me and I don't know if this is outing myself as dumb or something else. In my experiences with Bloody Mary, I always understood it. I don't know if this was without prompting or with prompting to be Bloody Mary as in Henry VIII's daughter. I have no fucking idea why that was. Catherine of Aragon's daughter, who was raised Catholic. And so when Henry VIII died and she became queen, she enacted a reign of... Um, terror trying to Mm re-catholicize england yeah i think that is one of the things that she can be there's a lot of different marys that she could be i've also heard it called mary worth and the black lady like but they're all bloody mary oh my god one of the things i was reading went on the most like egregious conspiracy theory explanation of like why of the different names of Mary, because like two of them are Mary Worth and Mary Wales. And so yes. this this dude was trying to make a connection of like, okay, Mary, a girl gets married. Um, sometimes in some legend, she's headless, mm. which means she's lost her maidenhead. And the blood oh is the breaking <laughs> is the breaking of her hymen. So if she's had sex, then she's lost her worth. Or if she's had sex and it's painful, then she Wales, Mary Worth, Mary Wales, and I was like, many oh to you're like, men are not allowed to speak about any of this. But also, you're like, English brain. teachers are over. Yeah. We're never having another cool English teacher. And now, also, just like, dude, are you writing? Are you writing a riddle? Like, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah, like, why? <laughs> what is this a slam poem? Stop just shouting random syllables. Like, it really was. Okay. It was wild. Hey, um, Ruby, what's up? Teach us about the thing that you were saying that oh. I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce. Because I don't know. Lacan. Lacan, baby. Pecan? No. Yeah. We, well, spell pecan. Well, I was, when I think of mirrors, and this is, again, I'm so sorry. I don't know if this is fully a film major thing. I think it was a film theory major thing because they make us do this all the time. But like reading Jacques Lacan and specifically the discussion of the mirror stage in development. And so Mm -hmm. like no one uses Lacan nowadays as like, this is reality. This isn't science. This is psychoanalysis that we use in like this is a big part of film theory (laughs) whenever i think of mirrors i think of lacan now because it's like this pavlovian response that will go with me to my deathbed but i think specifically Mm -hmm. in what we were talking about in terms of like this bloody mary ritual for pre-adolescent girls being some kind of ritual into becoming um Mm -hmm. when we look at i'm gonna like interpret lacan's mirror stage because it's specifically when he talks about it he's talking about like children and like a very specific stage of like children's development, which is that um, even before we have any kind of motor skills or functional motor skills or survival skills, we are able to recognize our reflection. 
And um, that's a huge part of the development of self in terms of understanding what is um, our form, our figure, and then learning to connect it with the physical movements that we are making and experience mm -hmm. and feel. And the end of the mirror stage, so to speak, is it, it happens when you start to see the conflict between this idealized version of yourself, which exists in the mirror, the ideal mm -hmm. I, and then the environment, uh, then and the reality. So it's a conflict between your ideal self and reality, as well as a conflict between like your inner world and your inner sense of self and the uh, reality of the environment that you live in. Mm -hmm. Right. Everyone's following right now. This is I'm like, following. This is like Lacan for dummies explained by a dummy. Um, Lacan so by dummies. Yeah. Lacan by dummies with dummies for, for dummies. the dummies by the dummies. Yeah. 2020. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, I think what's interesting to me is like if we're talking about the development of like, again, although he's talking about children, I think there's something that's really evocative about thinking about the development of self and the self in conflict with the world around you and with your environment with looking at like a young pre-adolescent girl's entrance into womanhood, womanhood, mm -hmm. because I think so much of societally defined femininity is of course an exercise in the conflict of, of self and the inner world with the expectations of what femininity is and what it entails. And I'm being very gender essentialist right now. And I am so sorry for that. I don't but... think you are. I think you're fine. Okay. It's not gender essentialist to say that femininity exists in the world and that there yeah. are expectations around a woman being birthed to femininity. True. I think if anything, it's completely in line with the like far left view that gender is socially constructed to say right. that there are intense social expectations to right. put on a, a gender. I think the gender yeah. essentialist point of view would be like, no, I mean, women are scared of their periods because having your period makes you a big lady. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I think that there's a there's this weird weird logic that starts to present itself about what this myth is and what this legend is. And so much of it is like, mm -hmm. you know, psychoanalytical mumbo jumbo, but I do think those are those are the circles that my brain went around in when I was thinking about okay. this myth. I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. And like especially I think it's interesting to think about like if the if Lacan is all about the mirror stage and how the mirror represents like you know the mirror stage if I'm understanding you correctly the mirror stage is the time in which you are able to understand the self and then you end the mirror stage when you're able to understand the other outside of the self right am I kind of getting that right I think I think to a certain extent yes it's um... and you're able to like transpose the mirror onto another person right because you're able to use them as a, as some form of like you're able to mirror them right you're able to see the gonads of another pigeon and then making yourself <laughs> it's psychoanalysis that the same way that we talk about like um that we use like laura mulvey and other like freudian and jungian uh concepts to like analyze film but um and to understand our relationship with film and formulate it but not necessarily in a way that is like factual it's a way of understanding symbols yeah yeah Ruby, from from what I understand from what you were saying, I think it's interesting to think about that in the context of what Bloody Mary symbolizes in this ritual or what the Candyman symbolizes in this ritual, because I don't think that we've really hit on yet, like, okay, 
there's context in which you might try and summon this person that's important and there's context for what it is but what is the intention behind summoning something that could hurt you Mm. like the whole intention of this ritual in fact the thing that made it unappealing to me as a child is that Mm -hmm. you through doing something forbidden summon something that will almost inevitably damage you yeah Mm -hmm. and obviously there's a lot of like you know if you log online there's a bunch of people being like this is a hoax you can look in the mirror and hypnotize yourself and you see visual distortions and like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of scientific explanations for seeing someone in the mirror that's not you but in terms of the actual psychology of a child like why would you want to summon a demon that specifically is intended to harm you, right? Why would you try and mark yourself in that capacity? And I think that the mirror stage explanation or the mirror stage analysis is interesting. I mean, obviously I'm going based on what Ruby said in some article she sent me a couple years ago that I didn't really understand, but (laughs) I think it's, it's interesting to think about like, you know, what does it mean to understand yourself at this age as someone who is capable of putting yourself in danger? Like you are moving out of the child position in your own life. And part of being in the child position is being in a position where you are only ever really the victim of harm. It's very hard to Mm -hmm. bring harm upon yourself because you are innocent of the ability to make bad things happen to you. Like if you do, Mm -hmm. it's never your fault. Anybody who blames a child for something that they did in the like you know you fall down you hurt yourself by accident like it is someone Mm -hmm. else's responsibility to care for you that is the child position Mm -hmm. and so at this age in which you are moving into a more adolescent or even adult position it's interesting to think about what it means to summon something and to see something in the mirror this location of Mm self-identification and to, to summon something into that place that can potentially harm you but can also be this great social benefit to you of like everybody sees you come out of the bathroom and they're like oh you did it you know you're brave i am the danger like that kind of totally <laughs> eva you wanted to talk about who these people are yeah so i just wanted to like talk about i guess do we feel like there's a connection to either the mirror quality or the adolescent quality of the ritual that it's these people that are summoned i mean bloody mary yes it sounds like based on our discussion one can reasonably assume make pretty strong connections there but the Candyman, i think is more strange i don't know if that's well I because think, it comes from the movie yeah i think that's maybe what i was trying to get at with the idea of questioning its place in this legend because i think Someone clearly took the legend, like the structure of a, of Bloody Mary and -hmm. took the kind of the fun parts of it, the parts that we talked about, like the repetition, the talking in a mirror, and then constructed their own horror narrative out of it. Um, Mm. Clive Barker's version and then the film version, which obviously, obviously like has its own you know, when you read about the conception of that film and it's like, we wanted to make this character who was like a black Dracula and that he was this tall, you know, attractive, cool man who could kill you. Um, amongst And it's also a commentary, obviously, on racism and the his- legacies of racism and slavery and these housing mm-hmm. projects. So it's, I think there you see more the hand of like an author making a statement about something else than you do necessarily like a reflection of um generalized anxieties the way you do in 
Bloody Mary. But that mm-hmm. being said, even in the structure of a movie like Candyman, where mm-hmm. your protagonist is Virginia, was a white woman, is Virginia Madsen, then it, it could be literally seen as, again, why is it this man that's in the mirror? Well, it's facing up to our racist past and to mm. the racist legacies of housing estates. So that's, that, mm. that's how that functions in that film. Why it keeps on with kids nowadays, I literally don't know. It's mm. not just that, though. It's not just housing. It's, it's uh, you know, interracial relationships. Right. I mean, that, mm-hmm. is the, that is the entire focal anxiety point of it is that he falls in love with her. She mm-hmm. gets pregnant and the, they lynch him because he impregnated a white woman, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there you have kind of, again, this question of the responsibilities of womanhood and adulthood on the one level and then the social responsibilities of being white in society on another level yeah so it layers on top of the menstrual anxiety and the childbirth anxiety this deep specifically american racial anxiety Mm -hmm. right eva what are teens doing on youtube with this like you said that you've been in there seeing what everybody's haunted about just exactly the same thing as the bloody mary thing just saying it in a mirror like five times or if you say it by yourself five times in like a dark room yeah just like sitting in a dark room in a circle with a couple candles and saying it five times and then being scared because like something in the attic makes a noise around the same time that you say it five times or not quite getting to say it five times because you're starting to become overwhelmed ghost adventure style with like mm. this unnameable, unrecordable, unevidenceable, <laughs> uh, unverifiable, like, yeah. Fe- exactly, like bro, feeling. Bro, yeah. Wait, bros, bros, you are not going to believe me right now. I am literally strangling. <laughs> this is for the listeners back home. I am literally possessed right now. I am strangling myself. <laughs> Um, everybody look at me and, um, oop, possession gone. But again, that's, I think what I, what I struggle with, with the, the way that the Candyman mythology, and I would love to know more again, if there's any children on the, on the net who are listening to this and can explain to me why you you would be listening to this. Drop your address in the comments. Drop your address. Um, ASL, um, no, 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 no. Please cut that. <laughs> me, me, like, nope. Um, you can leave mine. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely at least leaving Gus's. Um, uh, yeah. But, like, if I would love to know what the appeal is there. Because I think even uh, to go to the other contemporary example of Slenderman, there mm-hmm. has been compelling points made about the idea that Slenderman specifically is, like, a very Pied Piper-like figure in that mm-hmm. he's taking these children away. These children who, you know, feel alienated, who feel alone, Mm -hmm. feel awkward. He's almost, even though he's a terrifying force, he's also kind of a protective force because he's taking them to, quote unquote, live with him in his castle. Mm -hmm. Um, So that speaks to that appeal for summoning. But yeah, I don't. So I just I'm really curious as to as to why Candyman, beyond just the, the value of it being from a film yeah, and like it just became a phenomenon yeah because i'm wondering how what the transit what has changed in the transition from like how it was constructed how he was constructed in yeah. the film versus how right. he operates now for like children uh he's still a man with a hook hand i don't know that there is the connotation of it being racially violent yeah i mean it's the same guy and it's the same story but i don't think the kids are thinking about it in that way the or kids at least that's thinking the about I it i guess yeah yeah the kids are more just like oh it's a man with a hook hand and he has like no skin under his trench coat 
like Freddy Krueger, but with a hook hand or whatever. Right. Um, I mean, that is scary. Yeah. So That's is it about, so scary. Is it about fashion? Because he's got the leather it's, duster. It's all about fashion. It's all, you know, maybe that's the conclusion here. Is that Just wrap about, it there, yeah. At the end of the day, phenomena 2021, spring, summer. It's about, I mean, we do talk about aesthetics a lot. I want to put our, I want to put the Freud definition of aesthetics that Gus gave in the first episode on our website so that people understand what the fuck we're talking about. Um, yeah, I guess the last thing I wanted to talk about was ghosts being trapped in mirrors, but I don't know that that makes sense looking at the time of the recording. I briefly mentioned it at the beginning of the episode, so maybe we'll just save it for another exorcism episode. What do we think? Why don't you necessary? just th- throw your thoughts in? What do you think about it? Yeah. What do I think about it? Yeah. I I like it. Think I think that it's it would- good. I think the idea that the reflection of this, some, that something that reflects the self in the world can capture a piece of the self or capture a piece of the world that it's reflecting is very engaging uh, in the human imagination. And I think, you know, jumping through water to find portals, Alice in Wonderland through the looking glass, like all these things, the idea that you could go through a reflective surface and into a world that is the same, but entirely disconnected, except for that one portal from the other world is terrifying and engaging. And but I it's also why. thrilling. Yeah. Susan Sontag wrote about this in her diary, thinking about, I think oh, actually yeah. maybe Lacan, she said, ah! the night. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that noise. No, no, I love it. She says, the doubling of the self in dreams, the doubling of the self in art, the nightmare is that there are two worlds, the nightmare is that there's only one world, this one. Ah. I think about that yes. so much. I because think that's really beautiful. That is she really such a kicker it. at the end. The nightmare yeah. that there is only one world, this one. Oh, I'm not going to yeah. be able to sleep tonight. I mean, my eyes are going to be <laughs> open, just fucking dreading the idea that this is the only world. World, yeah. I mean, that's part of the terror, right? Like, if you summon Bloody Mary and some lady brings you your period and some lady kills you and brings your blood to you, then it's not really your fault. Your fate is not inevitable. There's, there is something inevitable about aging and becoming an adult and, you know, merging into these adult responsibilities. And mm-hmm. if you can remain in a permanent child victim state, then you are able to escape from that, you know? There is another world and in that other world, maybe it's not your responsibility. Susan Sontag for that little sign-off. That was great. Um, my name is Eva. My name is Augusta. And we're the